You are listening to FPEA Connects, a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to FPEA Connects. Today's host is Suzanne Nunn. Suzanne is an active homeschool mom serving homeschool families in both her local community and across the state. She also serves as chairman of FPEA, Florida's statewide homeschooling association. FPEA serves thousands of homeschool families in Florida, delivering a wealth of support, guidance, and information to both new and longtime home educators. Please join us as we seek to encourage you in your homeschool journey and help you stay connected to all things homeschooling in the Sunshine State. Welcome to episode number 72 of FPA Connects. I'm Suzanne, and I am glad you're listening in for us today. Uh, We have an exciting topic today with a good friend of mine um, that I'm going to introduce you to here. I'm going to introduce you to Cheryl Bastion. Um, Cheryl is a homeschool mom of eight. She has ages uh, ranging from a toddler still Mm -hmm. all the way up through adults. Um, and you'll want to know for the sake of the conversation we're going to have today, you've graduated how many already? Is it four? Three, four of in May. So, yeah. Three, four, four in May. Four okay. In May. <laughs> so, Cheryl has some uh, good insights, great insights with um, her years of experience homeschooling herself. Um, she also evaluates in mm-hmm. her community. Um, she and her husband are evaluators, so she has a lot of experience from that mm-hmm. as well about things that work well, things that don't necessarily mm-hmm. always work well, um, but certainly a, a wealth of knowledge here. And um, you can find Cheryl at CherylBaston.com, and also you can follow her on Facebook at Celebrate High School. So, Cheryl, welcome. Thank you. Susan. Thank you for being here today. Um, I've asked you to join us so we could talk about something that I know uh, actually brings a lot of stress to some mamas. <laughs> <laughs> and so I can say that honestly because I was there myself at mm-hmm. some point. Um, but And that is when you're thinking about high school. Mm-hmm. I know for me it was a little intimidating um, to find the right answers. And I, I want to stress that the right or good answers. Mm-hmm. Um, to my questions about homeschooling in high school um, and my high school age children. And, you know, you think you have a good idea about it or you start to feel a little bit of confidence in what you know. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you start hearing other people talk right. and you start thinking, oh, what did I not do? Or are they doing something? Are they right? right. Am I wrong? And, you know, there's a lot of questions that, that stem up from that conversation. Yes. And I think that, um, it, it allows fear or doubt sometimes to creep in. Mm-hmm. And I always want to encourage people, no matter what phase of homeschooling they are in, right. that it is something that they can do. Absolutely. It is something that they can be Absolutely. confident about mm-hmm. doing. Um, but we certainly always need to have uh, our information gathered and mm-hmm. understand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with high school especially, I want to kind of, on the front end, establish this. And I know we've had a lot of conversations mm-hmm. where I, I know you agree with us. Um, we can give some good guidelines, but there is not one right way no, to do this. And you are great at showing people so many of the different options that I think are available and talking about different ways. And I know one of the uh, first things that really helped me was, was your book. Mm. <laughs> so I read that one early on, Celebrate High School. And it was it's great. I still, it's earmarked mm. and highlighted and I still refer back to it. Um, so 
you know, there's a lot of good guidelines that you can share, but I always want to say to a parent, really find out what works for your student because there's not just one way right. to do this. Right, and we um, forget that, I think, at the high school level. You know, we live in a great state to homeschool, and mm-hmm. a lot of that is due to the fact that FPEA has been fighting for those rights um, yeah. to be able to have that freedom, and then mm-hmm. we forget about that at high school. Yeah. And we forget about what happens is we get so bogged down by, oh, my goodness, what classes do we need? What credits do we need? What colleges are we going to go to? And it just takes the level of possibilities just decreases in just that fear. Right. And people ask me all the time, well, you guys are evaluators. And, yeah, we've done that for 25 years, walking with hundreds of kids. And I can honestly tell you, we've seen every single educational philosophy. We've seen, oh, my goodness, <laughs> kids that have gone homeschooled K through 12, kids who have been pulled out at 10th grade, mm-hmm. all along the spectrum. And, honestly, there has not been one right way. Yeah. The only thing I can say is keeping that love of learning, that curiosity, and where can I find the answers, that's what's important. And to realize that your kids are created uniquely. Mm-hmm. There's things in them that maybe you haven't even discovered, maybe they haven't discovered, that can be discovered in the middle and high school years that – get overshadowed because we're so worried about all these these things that we have to accomplish or do. Right. And I wanted to kind of just camp out on that thought for one moment. I know, you know, you say that there's a lot that we're still mm. discovering. We're still learning Absolutely. about who we are when we're in middle <laughs> school and high school. And adults. Right. And as adults. <laughs> and our, our students are no different right. than that. And I think sometimes... I see moms who have been very maybe out of the box and they've really sought to find ways that their students learn best and they're really nurturing all of that through the elementary years and the kids love homeschooling, you know, and then they hit middle school and sometimes not until high school, but all of a sudden it's very rigorous and structured and looks like, you know, going to another traditional school and the kids all of a sudden start feeling a lot of anxiety and feeling a lot of stress themselves Mm -hmm. and don't don't perform necessarily as well and sometimes I have to point to people and say well you've totally switched gears on them like you know it was a very creative approach here and now all of a sudden it's very different or experiential is what I like to to tell people like how do you keep that experience that's how we learn best even as adults through doing things Exactly. So that goes back to there's not just one way, you know, to do this. And so um, one of the questions, let me let's start with this and work through it kind of um, in a a bit of a format here. Okay. One of the earliest questions that I get and that I start hearing from people, and I think it's really legitimate, is when can Mm. my students start getting credit for high school courses? Right. Um, legally, you know, in Florida, right, people want right. to start knowing when they can keep their transcripts. Right. So what would you tell someone? Well, I think, first of all, you have to look back at how are you homeschooling? If you're homeschooling under a private school covering, you're going to be bound to whatever they want or say you can count. So mm-hmm. if you're taking, you know, algebra one, sometimes a private school will take it in seventh grade, but I've even heard of private schools who won't count that credit in seventh grade for that algebra one, which is traditionally a high school course. Right. Most private schools will take it at eighth grade. But if you're homeschooling through the county, you are the overseer of the child's education. And so if they take a, an algebra book and they finish it, an algebra one book, you can count that credit because you're the parent overseeing it. That's why you sign the transcript at right. the end, of right. the, you know, before they graduate. So it really is going to depend on how you, you know, really, if you're homeschooling, well, if you're schooling under a private school, you're actually a private school student. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to adhere to any whatever they tell you you can Their count. Guidelines, right. But if you're homeschooling 
in through the home education program, you are that overseer and you could decide that. So as a rule of thumb, what I've heard parents do is like, well, if it's high school level book or high school level textbook or high school level material, then I'm going to count it. Now, I also tell people, okay, why why the rush? Like, mm-hmm. if you've got a child in middle school who can do high school work, fantastic. Right. But that's not going to stop. So you're still going to get four years in high school that you could count for more science if you wanted to. Right. So why put that stress on, oh, my goodness, we can count this for high school. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden, in that child's mind, you have now raised probably... Um, unconsciously, but you yeah. have raised a level of anxiety of, okay, now i got to keep on this path. What else can I, you know? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, when you empower your kids to say, you know what? The, our, the theme at our house is, or the motto at our house is, if you read it, I'll figure out how to give you credit. Understanding right. that's a high school level or adult level material. and So, if you read it, I'll give you credit. That means if you're going to read The Wright Brothers by David McCullough, I'm going to figure out where that can go. That could be a literature, that could be a history, mm-hmm. but I still get to decide that as a parent. And if you do that in eighth grade, I'm going to count that as high school. Right. Because I am I feel like I can. Yeah. So, so there are some legitimate courses that you may pick up along the way. Sure. Just by, you sure. know, I have friends who legitimately have kids who are ready sure. for Algebra 1 right. in eighth grade and sure. want to do it. And they want to yeah. go ahead and give them credit. The thing you have to be so, careful there, again, is if you're going to count that Algebra 1 credit, Algebra 1 specifically, because that's, that's one of those classes that... Mm-hmm. If you because there's the EOC that is required of public school kids, if you take that in seventh or eighth grade and then switch to a private school or switch to public school, you that EOC might come into play. Yeah. So the algebra one is a little bit more tricky. And if let's say let's say what an EOC is for oh, people that might exam. be listening. Okay. End of course exam and it's required for the uh, state diploma. Okay. Now some private schools they get to decide whether they're gonna have that EOC or not. So they may or may not have that. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if you're switching, I know kids who've homeschooled through the county. They took Algebra 1 at home and then went to a private school covering for high school. And the private school covering made them take the EOC or they didn't necessarily count it. Okay. But again, that's good. That's a good tip. Yeah. It is. But that's... you have to realize you're still going to need on that transcript, as far as a college is concerned, three maths mm-hmm. at the minimum, right? Um, and so then you're like, okay, well, if you take the Algebra 1, again, what's the rush? If you can do it, great. Yeah, right. Uh, because you want to always be nurturing your mind. And if you've got a child whose mind is nurtured, they're gifted then, in math, you want to nurture that. But yeah. on the other hand, like, we have to also say, keep ourselves in check of, okay, so if you do Algebra 1 in 7th grade, you do Algebra 2 in 8th and Geometry in ninth. what are you going to do? Well, yeah. you could do enroll. I mean, there's lots of options, but you also want to keep mindful of this, keep a pulse on the student. As mm-hmm. far as their anxiety levels, because we—it's not—we're not in this to. One, to we don't rush. have to follow the gu- yeah. guidelines, but we also don't want to create anxiety in our kids. It's just right. it's counterproductive. Yeah, and not only is it counterproductive, you know, we've we've talked about we see that there is a real issue with anxiety and oh, stress yes. and yep. even depression. It is not only in the you mm-hmm. know. Um, non-homeschooling community, but also in the homeschooling yeah. community. Yeah, because now we're so, just taking school and bringing it home instead yeah. of like looking at the whole child as a whole and saying, okay, where is this child? Right. So that has to be considered. Absolutely. I think to talk, have a healthy discussion about high school, it's important to mention that. It absolutely that, you know? is. Because we've had kids come to evaluations and they literally are like, but how's my GPA? But how's my GPA? I'm like, wait a minute. You are more than a GPA. Yeah. You are more than the credits you're going to get on your transcript. Yeah. And it has to be. That's important. That's it important. Super is it's important. one of the benefits we have of homeschooling Absolutely. to really encourage. Yeah. Um, 
Okay. And the next question, talking about courses, mm-hmm. what courses, mm-hmm. when we're looking at, okay, what do you need? What do you sure. have to have? Yep. How do you determine what is really true and right versus what everybody else is telling <laughs> it's you? It's hard, right? right? <laughs> okay. So let's go back to the law. If you're under the home education program, you get to decide that because you're not getting a Florida diploma. And so right. now that doesn't mean you get to willy nilly like, oh, it doesn't matter. No, that's not true because obviously you want to be competitive if your learner decides to go to college. Mm-hmm. And obviously you want to prepare for life like we're trying to make future ready you know kid leaders right so you're not just going to go willy-nilly but i always tell people even if you don't know if they're going to college or even if you don't think they're going to college don't default to that because Mm -hmm. i know lots in fact i've had one personally but we also see them in in our evaluation process is that these oh you don't understand my kids not going to college oh yes i do understand i had (laughs) one and you know what they decided senior year to go to college so for those i just tell people just do what you would normally do Teach right. English, teach math, teach social sciences, and teach the, the natural sciences. Mm-hmm. Four core courses and then all the electives. And if you do that in ninth and 10th grade, you still have got junior, senior year. If right. the college, you know, mo- all colleges are going to want four years of English. I don't know one who doesn't. Right. And I've researched it extensively. Um, three maths is the minimum. Mm-hmm. Don't think you're going to find one, a college that's going to want under three maths. So make sure you got three maths. And usually you want algebra one or above, which means algebra one, geometry, and algebra two. Sometimes you can do some kind of like a, a college math or advanced math in there as well. And then if you find out junior, senior year that your kids are going to go to college and they've got their sights set on a highly selective school, you can add another math. You've got the senior year yeah. to do that. Whether you choose to dual enroll or choose calculus or whatever. So then you go back to social sciences. Most colleges are going to want American history and world history. And then they're looking for economics and government. You can do those in your freshman, sophomore, junior year without even knowing where your kid's going to go to college and still have them on that path. Right. Science, same thing. They want three sciences, usually two with a lab. Um, And so you start out like with biology or chemistry or physics or marine science or anatomy and physiology based on maybe the interests or events of your kids. And then when you get to the upper levels, junior, senior year, you can always add another one if if you're going to a highly selective school. Mm -hmm. The highly selective schools, for sure, four math, four math, four English, four math, four social sciences and four natural sciences, probably across the board and at least two years of consecutive foreign language. If you're going to William and Mary, you're going to need four. But, you know, (laughs) usually that's not that's a that's an out of the an out of the norm thing. So so basically as far as like, you know, what we're going to say are required courses, those are kind of the standard. It's a guideline. That's a guideline and what you would want to do to prepare your students for for college, for life in general, whatever they want to do. Right. You want to set them up for the best possible scenario for success. Right. Even though you don't maybe know in freshman and sophomore year. Right. And I tell people like by the time you get to junior and senior year or as your child starts to say, oh, I think I really want to go to you know, University of Pittsburgh or whatever, mm-hmm. find those out. Find your top 10 is basically what I tell them in Celebrate High School. I outline that. And then ask those questions. What are the deadlines? What are the courses they want? Because some are going to be really specific and say, we need three social three social sciences and two of those have to be American history, American government. Right. Others are going to say, we don't really care what you do. Just give us three social sciences. Mm-hmm. So if you know kind of what colleges you're looking at, then you can kind of narrow that down. But again, being on that track of just doing ink, Make it simple. I'm always yeah. telling parents, just pare it down to what's simple. Because if it's simple for you and there's that you kind of can get the fears out of the way, it's going to come less stressful on the child in the home. And, the, and yeah. Um, so going on, you mentioned foreign languages. Mm. And we want to go on that topic for a few minutes. Okay. Um, I think one of the biggest questions that comes my way 
about foreign language is, um, you know, something to the effect of what are my options Mm -hmm. or, you know, I've heard you can only Mm -hmm. do Florida virtual school if it's going to count or things of that nature. So I want to kind of give something that clarifies where we are in Florida with foreign language for families that are going to be homeschooling high school and want to know what to do. How would you answer? Well, I would have given you a really different answer even three years ago, mm-hmm. right? Because that's foreign language is one of those things that is in flux currently. Like, I, right. I don't even know. I can't answer that question and guarantee you anything, which nobody should really ever guarantee you anything because there's no right. guarantees. You really surely have to look at the college and know what questions to ask. So what I'm personally doing, because I've got a freshman, just graduated, I'll graduate a senior here in May. For her, I'm saying, okay, here are the questions I'm going to ask the college. What do you accept for college admission? And mm-hmm. some of them will say, yeah, we'll take Rosetta Stone. Yeah, we'll take Duolingo. Some will say, well, we're only going to take Florida Virtual School because they can verify the content of that. It's a, it's a bona fide public school to them. Mm-hmm. And so, well, it is actually. And, and they see that as verifiable. So they'll only take that. But I'm going to ask that question. What are you going to take for college admission? Right. Okay. And make sure that if they say two years of any foreign language, okay, confirm with them that it's not two years consecutively of the same foreign language because I know a student who got caught did like German or something freshman year and then switched to Spanish in junior year and they're like nope that's not consecutive and that's not the same foreign language right so make sure you say what are the stipulations that go around that foreign language requirement Mm -hmm. and then the other thing I ask because I found out through my other learners was that sometimes the college will take the high school course and accept it for the college admission, but then they will also accept it for the degree. Because okay. in the state of Florida, you have to have a certain amount of foreign language hours for your bachelor's. Um, mm-hmm. And that's in statute. Um, but how the school interprets that is different. So I always say, okay, if I take um, or if my student takes this specific foreign language for two years with this specific program, will you take it for admission? And then will you contribute it towards the degree? And those are the two questions I'm asking because it is so in flux and every school in Florida is different as far as what they will do. Right. So I'm and I want to just verify or clarify is the mm-hmm. right word. Uh, why we say it's in flux and why you might hear mm. different answers to this right. question a lot of the time. And that is because we are always subject to what's happening in legislation right. every year. And sometimes um, in education, especially the verbiage will change yes. sometimes from year to year. Yep. about what colleges will accept or what's acceptable for, you know, private well, the schools. Colleges get and, to, some of that gets, they get to decide that. some of it is up to interpretation. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I think that it's important for, you know, anyone going into high school mm-hmm. that, because um, we start thinking about it a lot of times a little bit earlier than actual high school. Right, right. Um, you might ask a question and your child's in seventh grade. The answer to that question <gasps> could be different. Yeah, absolutely. Two or three years down the road. So it's always important to keep up with what is currently happening and always important to connect with the school, the college that you may be looking at to know what they need. And I would add this because this is something I learned personally. When you're calling the college regarding a foreign language, Mm -hmm. um, call the dean's office. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Because when you call the answer center, you know, or just your general admissions office, Sometimes you're going to get a student, bless their soul, they're there working on their student loan, you Mm -hmm. know, for work study. 
they may not know the answers to your intricate question. They'll know the broad answers, but they may not know your intricate question. Right. So I just, you know, that's fine. I, I respect them and their position, and they can't know everything. Mm -hmm. So when I have a really hard-to-answer question, I just go straight to the dean's office. I did that just recently for um, my 20-year-old. We're investigating even college degrees and which is the best degree for her. Mm -hmm. Again, it was all based on the foreign language because she hadn't taken it in high school. Um, and so I called I called the dean of actually the graduate school because right. I said, okay, if we get this degree, is that going to carry? So you always want to go to the person you feel like is going to have the most accurate um, and information. current information. Right. That's a good point. Um, okay, let's move on to another topic that's always a question, and that is what about testing? Mm. And when do you start testing? Where do you <laughs> go for testing as yeah. a homeschool student Right. Um, for all of these high school you know, mm -hmm. test. Now, again, it's a guideline mm -hmm. and you're going to have parents, you know, with Duke tip out there and there's another one I can't think of off the top of my head, but they're going to start wanting to test kids early, like at 12 even sometimes. And so you are going to have some kids who are going to um, test early and that's their realm and they love it. Mm -hmm. Just be cautious of, you might think they love it, but do they really, like what is it doing on them and the inside? Just be always right. mindful of, What's going on? And if your child is not, he may not be feeling the pressure from you. He might feel it from peers. Right. Or right. what he thinks might make you happy. So always try to keep a pulse on that. Some will start in eighth and ninth. Some will start the PSAT in ninth. But for the most part, most people will take it as practice in 10th grade. Now, the PSAT is only offered in October. It's usually mm -hmm. around the 12th or 15th. It's that Wednesday, whatever that week falls. Um, and that you can, you're not going to register for that online like the SAT through the college board, you're usually going to have to go to the um, guidance office or just call the office of a, of a local Christian school. Um, we take ours at a local Christian school because the, the high school doesn't have to accommodate you. Mm -hmm. You can push your point and say, yes, you do. You have to because I'm a taxpayer, but right. I don't usually take that. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's I'm just trying to be kind to these people. I, yeah. The Christian school is, loves us being there, and so we do that. So we'll take the PSAT there. Now, in Practice in 10th, but for sure in 11th grade, when you take that PSAT in October, that's what will count for National Merit Scholars. Mm -hmm. So that's why people, again, that's why they're pushing it down. Oh, they'll need more practice. So let's do it in 9th grade. Oh, no, you know, they're going to all the practice they need. Some kids don't. So mm -hmm. you can't take that as a general guideline. But for sure, 10th grade practice, 11th grade for sure. Okay. So 11th grade is traditionally like the testing year if mm -hmm. you stuff online. And that's when people start taking the SAT and the ACTs. Um, and again, that's not for every student. I had one personally that we just knew there has to be maturity involved in that. You you also have to realize like these high stakes tests are all going to have algebra one, geometry and algebra two, if not more. Mm -hmm. Some trig sometimes, analytic geometry. So if you haven't even touched that, like I had a mom ask me the other day, well, he's already taken algebra one. I think I'm going to have him take the SAT. I said, okay, that's your choice, but you have to realize you, he's at a disadvantage because right. he hasn't even had those other two maths. So use that in your thought as, as mm -hmm. well. If you have an 11th grader who is has taken Algebra 1 and partway through geometry but doesn't have the maturity to understand they're not going to score well, maybe you hold off till Wait. senior year. Yeah. Um, it's not – It's again, it only takes one experience for a child to think they're not smart and they're dumb and they can't mm -hmm. do it. And that's just not the point, in my, right. my opinion. And, right. and then there's people who say, well, if you don't get them to practice, they won't. That'll help them with test anxiety. Not true for all kids. Mm -hmm. So, so ACT and SAT um, in 11th grade. If you've got a student who maybe is not a real good test taker, 
um, because of the time factor. Mm -hmm. Um, But they want to go to college. The PERT test is untimed. It's a college placement test, which usually the state colleges give. Um, And it's a really good option for kids because they can sit there for hours if they want. I literally have had kids sit two straight days. And as long as you don't get into a math test or get into the reading, whatever one, you know, you say you work through math. And if you don't start the reading test, you can come back the next day and do that. Ask them beforehand to make sure. Right. But most colleges, the community colleges, will work with you on that. And it's not timed. And it's more of a placement test. So the child doesn't see it as, oh, I don't know that information. No, they're trying to place you in the, in the course that you will do the best in. And at what different. age can they take that test? Um, I know kids who've taken it, and they're they're actually 11 years old. Okay. So, okay. I mean, I know kids who've dual enrolled at 12. Now they have to get permission to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are doing it again. Yeah. It's child-based. But right. that's another thing where if you're testing the SAT and ACT, and it gets to be senior year, and you're like, oh, we just can't. You know, we're not going to get bright futures with these scores or we're not going to be able to get into the college we want to. The PERT's a good avenue because it's not timed and you can be successful. And then you can just start at the community college or the state college and transfer with Direct Connect. Right. Okay. Great, great information. Um, Then move on to, because you were mentioning just when we were talking about the testing, Mm. dual enrollment. Okay. And so I know that's a big question question. (laughs) for people who have students in high school. Um, again, I think I like to point out what I always hear and what I always get from people. And, you know, it's, it goes back to, is this right for everyone? Right. Um, dual enrollment is something that, um, I would say may not be right for everyone. And I think that people suffer from, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the time feeling, you know, judgment because they don't have oh, kids yeah. who are dual enrolled. Oh, yeah. And or the kids even if feel it, that the, too. the kids feel it. That's what I was going to say. You know, again, that's an area where there seems to be a lot of pressure either from mm-hmm. the parent or the peer. Right. And um, I know sometimes it's to literally just to help save money. Yeah. Sometimes it's to be ahead of the game right. and, you know, whatever the, the goal is can be different. But again, you know, when you're looking at dual enrollment, is that something that you would say, you know, is a must have to someone? Mm-hmm. Or do you say, you know, what what do you say when mm-hmm. someone asks? Well, yeah, first, always my, my, my default is ask your student, involve them in the process. And mm-hmm. like foreign language, when we were going through that, dual enrolling it, going through FLVS, do you want it? You know, we lay it all out on the table for our kids. And sometimes that means I have to do some research because they're obviously not going to know the questions to ask. But we say, if we do it this way, this could be in play or this could be in play. And the same thing falls for dual enrollment. So if you've got a student, and by the way, dual enrollment, you're right. There is a ton of pressure right now. And because it's free, mm-hmm. I'm just seeing families literally exploding trying to figure out how they're going to dual enroll because it's free. Yeah. But what people don't realize is that's a permanent transcript. It's permanent so transcript. If you if it's free and you get B's and C's, yeah. you got free B's and C's. And not saying that B's and C's are bad, but in some degree programs, my son was one of these, he was on the dean's list at Valencia for eight straight semesters through his AA. Mm-hmm. When he transferred to UCF, those A's got him $1,500 a semester. Right. So if you do the dual enrollment early and you don't get, and you, you know, B's and C's, again, not bad, but if that's what, if you could have gotten A's, if you waited a little bit, it could be scholarship money down. I'm not saying it always will be. Right. But, but for him, that year, for that science, he was going to be a science major, and I've heard the STEM majors, that happens a little bit more. 
Um, as I've talked to, I've actually had one family, they had a STEM major and a non-STEM, same grades, mm-hmm. gotten their AA, going to, both went to UCF, one got the scholarship and one didn't. And the right. only thing we could attribute to was STEM because it was a STEM that got the, STEM. so you don't know those things. So, so don't put that undue pressure if it doesn't need to be there. Right. And there are some and colleges think, now actually that aren't allowing you to dual enroll unless you pass the writing, the reading, and the math at the freshman comp level or college Algebra mm-hmm. level. So you're going to be limited anyway. And I think, honestly, it's because they're realizing people are jumping the gun just to take intermediate algebra, which right. is a great class. Right. But you don't have to take it um, right. dual enrolled. And I think that a couple of things that I want to highlight in what you just said, it's a permanent transcript. It is a permanent transcript. And so you really need to consider that, you know, mm-hmm. is your child mature enough, right. not just academically even maybe, but sometimes right. Emotionally and, right. you know, yeah. um, socially to, to handle moving right. into this next phase. And you if they can't understand the importance of it or the brevity of the decision and right. the class, right. you can right. as the parent. And so, so we, I think that we always leave it open and talk about it. It is right. never, it's a decision we all kind of make together, weighing pros and cons. And sometimes I don't like the pros and cons. Like mm-hmm. there's sometimes <laughs> I'm like, you should just stay at all. Right. But it, if that is their true desire, motivation is everything. Mm-hmm. You know, if they've got that internal motivation, they're probably going to do pretty well. Yeah. So it doesn't always rest. It's a it's a conversation. The other thing I think with dual enrollment we have to understand is the content. Like I've had kids now go through dual enrollment. I've had kids move on to the high school, or, you know, college and beyond. And it's the content. Um, the content of freshman comp class, it's okay. But mm-hmm. man, that second comp class, I, I my kids actually said, I don't even want to read this stuff. Yeah. So it's you have to realize the content of what they're going to get, they have to be able, they're doing it because, the school's doing it because they want to be able to analyze the literature. So they're mm-hmm. going to give them stuff that's controversial because they're analyzing it, yeah. which is the point. But if you don't feel your child's got the maturity to handle that, maybe yeah. that's another reason you should not consider it. Psychology yeah. is the same way. Right. Psychology is not the Freud and the Piaget that you and yeah, I have had. Not- and so it's <laughs> again evolve. not a bad thing or a good thing. Just making sure your student to is aware. aware of that and ready. Yeah, and I think one of the factors that I always want to point out to someone when they're talking to me about dual enrollment is um, personally, I feel very strongly about um, just embracing where you are with mm-hmm. your children and their education. Yeah. And I think that one of the important things about high school Mm -hmm. and it was true for me when I was in high school and I think it's true for homeschooling families is to really embrace um and understand the importance of extracurricular activities Mm -hmm. in high school as far as rounding out a Mm -hmm. a portfolio or a resume of who you are and I see that a lot of people really rush to the academics only and uh, lose the focus now on some of the other things that the students are doing so um, for extracurricular. So I know I'm, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this person, but how would you, <laughs> how do you feel about extracurricular activities? Well, I mean, I feel this way because I've talked to admissions officers and um, they're important. They want to know how your what your kids are doing outside of academics. Mm-hmm. They, they want to know that your child is a whole person, not just a head. Right. You know, what are they doing? And a lot of times you don't get that unless you're out there. You know, social justice is a big deal. Mm-hmm. But if you're not out there working with Habitat for Humanity or Up Orlando or places that are really serving 
social justice issues, you're not really going to have that experience or that empathy or the, you know, just right. growing that. And again, that's philosophy to me. Like mm-hmm. I just wrote that the new book, More Than Credits, it's coming out and I in there highlight philosophy. Right. And yes, you want to be able to talk about Socrates and all this philosophical thought, but part of philosophy is actually going out there and, and working in the community, getting your community service hours while you're being exposed to, gosh, there's some social justice issues. I didn't know. How do I feel about that? Mm-hmm. How do we t- and talk about that as a family? You need to have time for that. Right. And there's only so much time in a day, just like your day and my day. Mm-hmm. And the more you put on your high schooler to math and, and, and English and dual enrollment and this and a job and this, you're, you're soon not going to have time to do the band, the art, the drama, Getting into social justice, getting into, you know, constitutional stuff if that's their bent yeah. or working in uh, volunteering health sciences if that's their bent. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's those experiential things that actually give them insight to what career they might want. If right. they know they want to be a vet, let them job shadow with a vet mm-hmm. and spend time with that. Take them take the vet out to lunch. Talk to them you know, about their profession and what did they love and what niche areas do they find in the future? That's another thing I talk about in More Than Credits. I give questions to parents yeah. to help guide their kids as they talk to these professionals because that's where you're going to find out what's going on in the career coming. Mm-hmm. You're not going to know that. If, if I have a business and finance degree, I'm not going to know anything about the veterinary world. I'm going to get my kids with professionals who do or job shadowing in that arena and we had one that we did at evals for. She's known all her life she wanted to be a vet. She's come to the table super exciting, which also, by the way, what happens in evals we see right. is they come at high school and they're like, oh, here we are. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, and if you could see my face, I'm just like dragging. Like they don't really, <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't like school. Right. And they loved it prior to then. Mm-hmm. And these middle schoolers came and they knew they wanted to do vet science. And so there was a new... Um, initiative coming from the University of Florida, which is again going to happen this summer. They did the pilot program last summer where they did it. They can, they um, connected with 4-H and the University of Florida medical veterinary medical school and did an intensive one week. And then they took the kids up to the University of Florida medical or the veterinary school. And these kids came to the evaluation on fire. Oh yeah, now we definitely know we want to be a vet. And so then they were like, okay, what niche area? Right. Now you've got oncology, you've got orthopedics, you know, orthopedic, veterinary. So if your high schoolers know they have a niche and they get into that profession, they might even figure out what niche in mm-hmm. that profession they could, or what the coming, I always tell them, ask the professionals what's coming in your field down the road that nobody knows about. Right. Cyber forensics was that way eight years ago. I sat with a mom and she's like, my kid is being is sitting with this, I think it was a, um, uh, the Secret Service mm-hmm. person, he was a Secret Service person, and said, oh, man, cyber forensics is going to explode. And, you know, at that yeah. time, nobody even had it as a college career. But he right. said, here, why don't you do this? Because it's going to come, and there's going to be an explosion of need, and nobody's mm-hmm. going to have a degree for it. Right. So here's what you could do to get that. You're so not going to know that information as a parent. But if mm-hmm. your kids are out there gaining these community service hours, hanging out and job shadowing, and all of that can count as their even electives, introduction to veterinary medicine, right. you can do that right. as a homeschooling parent. Yeah. And that's. I think that those are the things that um, you know, I always am trying to encourage people yes. to explore and not focus just on the high academics. But you know, focus on the whole student and, yeah. and that is important. And I think to the, um, 
life skills that your kids are learning oh, by yeah. being out there in the community oh, yeah. are, are invaluable. Those oh, yeah. are just priceless. Well, and, that's what the employers are looking for. Right. They're looking for collaboration, being able to be flexible, the adaptation, interpersonal mm-hmm. communication skills. They don't get that with a paper and a pencil no. and a textbook. I nope. mean, I'm just, there's a place for that. <laughs> there's a place for it. But there's right. also a place for these, <coughs> these other skills that the open-ended thinking, curious minds, they want that. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things we can foster with our kids, which they're going to get through experiential learning. Um, let's touch on and like, a, let's do a 30 second. <laughs> you a know 30 me, second I can record for an keeping. Hour <laughs> no, no, I, record keeping, I think we could do a whole mm, podcast on. Sure we could. So we would have to do that. But um, keeping records when you start with mm. these high school credits, okay. keeping records yeah. when you start with internships or experiential learning. Um, and I'm just going to, I'm going to say this before you start. That's fine. There is your high school book, Celebrate High School, Finish with Excellence, okay. which has great information about keeping records in it. Um, and I'm going to assume that there's some information about that in your more than credits. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There is more. It's a new book that's coming out. Yes. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a lot of great resources that we can direct our listeners to. But what would what would be some tips? Paperwork. Yeah. Okay, so you're probably always going to need a transcript. There mm-hmm. is actually a provision under Florida law that you could actually write a notarized affidavit, I believe is what it's called, that says that you basically say, my student has finished high school. Get it notarized, and that can suffice for some colleges. I think actually technically it can suffice for all, but you got to figure that out on your own. Yeah. Okay. Um, I know some Seminole State and Valencia actually have it on their website to say that you can just do this. But, again, we don't know where it's going in right. three or four years. So, at the minimum, just assume you're going to need to have a transcript. And that, again, is not a scary thing. One-page snapshot of your child's academic record. And I always tell people you should be able to tell who that student is by looking at it, mm-hmm. not another cookie cutter, right? right? It should, in those electives, you start saying, oh, yeah, this child's interested in veterinary medicine. This child's interested in drama or theater. So one, one-page snapshot. Then there's the application essays, which are becoming mm-hmm. less and less common, okay. but still important. And a right. lot of, some schools, if they want them, they're going to weigh heavily on them. So mm-hmm. I always encourage parents, why not use those for your junior, senior year, some of those for English assignments? Because right. they matter, and the kids are going to care about them. And the other piece I love that is they usually want them in a word count, like 250 mm-hmm. words or under. As high schoolers, or as homeschoolers, I find that us parents are wanting to write 30-page research papers. And you know what I'm finding? Yeah. Professors aren't asking for that anymore. They're going to assume it. that's exactly right. <laughs> Actually, what I'm getting is make three points in one page, double spaced. Yes. That takes a really good writer to be able yeah. to do that. So, um, application essay, just the course descriptions and the reading lists are necessarily not. They're becoming less and less common unless you're going to a highly selective school. But what I tell parents is you don't know that. Mm -hmm. So if you know you've got a student who's working in an experiential, let's say a veterinary medicine, and they're gonna, they went and witnessed a surgery, and then they saw leg amputation, and then they saw this, and they saw this. Make bullet lists. Once it's on a bullet list, you can go back and write a course description if you Mm -hmm. need to. The other that goes with that is the NCAA. If you've got an athlete, and again, you might not think they're going to go play college sports, but senior year, they might play college sports, but at least be kind of in the know about what NCAA is going to ask you, because that's what if you do get asked for that paperwork, it's extensive. It's Mm -hmm. not scary. It's possible. I know parents who've done it. It just takes some time. So that might be another thing to put kind of on your on your Radar. mind calendar. Yeah. yeah. So the course descriptions and then the reading list, obviously the reading list we have to do anyway. Right. You know, we're, re- we're recording that for our, um, for the, for the statute is, mm-hmm. is your resources. So you got to do that anyway. So just keep it. And then if you're asked for it, you've got it. You've and got usually it. want that by academic year. 
Okay. So those are the kind of things that are on the and it's oh I know the other one is a student resume. Some colleges now yeah. are asking for a student resume. But again, I use that in my high school years. Usually my seniors, I have them write a resume. Yeah. And again, you have to have experiences to put on it. So, so there you go. <laughs> so there set you them up with experiences. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, I think we've kind of hit on a lot of the high points I wanted to okay. touch on today. I do want to say we have our FPA convention yep. coming up in a few weeks. And you will be there. So Cheryl's got a couple of classes that might really pertain to um, those folks listening in and interested in this podcast. One is Celebrate Middle School Fostering Ingenuity. Uh, you've also got Sailing Through Evaluations, mm-hmm. where you touch on uh, the beauty of evaluations, yep. actually, I think, a lot. Yep. And then Celebrate High School Finish with Excellence, which will touch on a lot of the things that we've talked about today. So I just want to thank you for being with me today and going through uh, this conversation. And like I said, I think we could do several more off the same topic and (laughs) still not get it all done. But uh, I appreciate your time. And for those of you who've joined us today, if you're considering homeschooling or maybe you are already fully engaged, remember this FPEA is your source for all of your Florida homeschooling needs. We can um, have you follow us on Facebook, Check us out at fpa.com or uh, follow us on Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram for other great opportunities and resources that we have available. Um, Again, thank you for being here today. We have enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you've enjoyed our show and will join us next time for FPEA Connects. You can find us on the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network at ultimateradioshow.com. For more information about FPEA, visit us at our website, fpea.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. Until next time, stay connected.